Hey everyone, and welcome back to my podcast, where it's all about movie commentaries here. Today we are talking about the movie that started it all for me, The Goblet of Fire. This was my first Harry Potter movie that I ever saw in theaters, and I was so excited. And then I read the book, and it was amazing, and it's also probably my second favorite book. The first one is near and dear to my heart is The Half-Blood Prince, and I will get into that when we get to that movie. But this movie holds a special place in my heart, I think, just because... It started my Harry Potter journey, honestly. I mean, yes, I saw the other ones leading up to this, but I don't know. Seeing this movie on the big screen is just such a, a different perspective that you get. I don't know. I can't really, like, put into words. I'm having the trouble. But just something about it. It just will always be my favorite. And I can quote it pretty much from start to finish. My husband was getting really irritated with me when I was doing it the other night while we were watching it. But I don't know. And it's also so funny. You know, it's just got that little humor thrown into it, but it's also got so much that happens and so much information that you get in this movie. It's just, I appreciate it so, so much. Now, I was in middle school when this movie came out, so obviously I did not work this one either, but we're getting to those, I promise, I promise. But for right now, let's just get into this movie. Now, if you're not new here, you know the drill. We always talk about our stars at the very beginning of this episode. And if you are new here, this is what we do. Um, And then I also talk about the soundtrack. But first, I'm going to talk about the stars. To start out strong with our big bad of this movie, we finally get to meet Voldemort. Spoiler alert. And it is played by the lovely Ray Fiennes. And he does a fantastic job. I don't think they could have gotten anybody better to play this part. I cannot brag about this man enough. We also have Robert Pattinson crossing over into the Wizarding World, playing Cedric Diggory, even though this was very much pre-Twilight. I still like to say that he's crossing over, just because that's where we're at in life. Timothy Spall is Wormtail. He was in Prisoner of Azkaban, but I don't really think I mentioned him in that episode, so I'm going to mention him now because he does play just a slightly bigger part than he did in the last movie. David Tent as Barty Crouch Jr., or... If anybody watched Doctor Who, I know he was one of the doctors. I'm not a big Doctor Who fan, but I do know he was one of them. (laughs) We also meet Cho Chang, which is played by Katie Lewing, and I probably just butchered her last name, so I'm so sorry. And then we have some newbies for just this movie, since it's all about the Triwizard Tournament, but I'm not even going to try and pronounce their names, because they're all foreign, and I will definitely butcher it. And also, we do get a little bit more of a Neville storyline, so I'd like to also put in that Matthew Lewis plays Neville and I am a big Neville stan. I love him. He's precious and needs to be protected at all costs. I will go to my grave on that one. I love Neville. And that's really it for our newbies and obviously our main people are still around. I don't need to mention them again. Oh my god, I almost forgot. Um, Our brand new Defense Against the Dark Arts professor, Mr. Brendan Gleeson. He plays Mad-Eyed Moody. I love him, even though Mad-Eye Moody's a hella weirdo. <laughs> Not just this movie, and I will get more into that later, but he's just weird. He's a weird man, but I still love him. He was great. And now I'm going to get into the soundtrack, because you guys know I love to talk about my music. Um, This soundtrack was bomb, and the Hippogriff song that they do at the Yule Ball was a jam of mine when this CD came out. And I forgot how much it slaps when I watched this movie. It was so good. Still, it's crazy. 
I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that, but I love it. It's great. Okay, I'm definitely going to get into the movie now. We're going to start right now. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so we start this movie out with a lovely scenery in a graveyard. And we see the groundskeeper, caretaker, whatever word you want to use for him. I think they call him a caretaker. And I don't remember his name, so don't come for me. Um, He's making himself some tea and some dinner. And then he sees a light come on in this old house that I'm pretty sure is supposed to be abandoned. So what does he do but go and investigate? Because why not? Also, he's a caretaker, so that's kind of his job. He thinks it's some kids. He is sorely mistaken. It is not. There are three people having a little meeting, a little huddle, and you recognize one of them as Peter Pettigrew, and then you don't recognize the other rando guy. He's a little younger, and then you don't see the third, but you hear his voice, and it's really raspy and honestly sounds like it's near death. Uh, We later find out that that is Voldemort. Spoiler alerts for everyone. But then all of a sudden, they realize that the caretaker's there, and so they kill him and then all of a sudden we are popped back to the burrow where harry is having a nightmare so then it makes you think that it is all a dream which was pretty clever but also you don't know if it was real or if it was fake so kind of leaves you questioning it but like i said harry is at the weasleys and they are headed to the quidditch world cup this is where we meet cedric aka robert pattinson aka edward cullen he will always be edward cullen to me sorry about you He has very few lines in this movie, and he is very, not stoic, but he's kind of cocky. It's pretty funny, but he has very few lines, and that is not like how it was in the book. Cedric was a pretty big character from what I remember in the book. There was a lot of changes that happened from the book to the movie, and I will get into that a little bit later, because from what I remember, it's more in the tournament style is where they left a lot of things out. But anyways, I'm going off on a tangent. Like I said, we meet Cedric, we meet his dad. They are friends with the Weasleys and they are going with them to the World Cup. This is also where we learn about port keys. So basically, it can be any object and it takes you to wherever you need to go. So in this case, when they're going to the World Cup, it is a old boot. They all gather around it, spins them around, boom, they pop up at the World Cup. It's pretty cool, the World Cup's pretty cool. It honestly looks like Coachella for wizards. It's just a bunch of tents, people with face paint, people going crazy. So sporting events or any type of concert event. Just imagine that, but with wizards. Like I said, they stay in tents, which is pretty cool because when they walk into the tent, it's this huge, basically like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like a hotel. (laughs) You know, you've got a common room, you've got your rooms. It's awesome. And I also found out there are places that do like Airbnb type stuff for that, which I think is pretty cool. And I would love to go if it didn't break the bank, which I'm sure it does. But anyways, back to this. The Quidditch World Cup is the Irish against the Bulgarians. And this is where we meet Victor Crumb. He is for the Bulgarian team. He's a weirdo. I'm just getting that out there. I think he's very strange. (laughs) He has very very few speaking lines in this movie and all of them make me cringe just saying but he comes to hogwarts for the triwizard tournament later which me and my husband were talking about it and we don't understand how he plays for a what i would consider in this world to be like national league like high up nba level 
of Quidditch, but then he also goes to this school where they go to this other school to compete in a tournament. So I may be forgetting everything from the book about that, so if someone wants to remind me, would really appreciate it. So after the tournament has commenced and everything, I believe the Irish won the game. Not that that is anything relevant to what we're talking about. But anyways, the World Cup like tent area gets attacked by these weird dudes in cloaks. Kind of give off. I don't even, I, you know, not even gonna say what kind of vibes they get off. They're just weird. And they wear weird pointy cloaks with weird half skull masks. And it's strange. That's just all I'm getting at. We learn that they're Death Eaters later on is a very appropriate name for them but they attack the area they as far as i remember they don't kill anybody but still they make a huge mess they burn down all the tents harry and ron and hermione all get separated and then harry wakes up he gets knocked out he wakes up and then that rando dude from the beginning is back and he says something that i'm not even going to try and pretend to say and all of a sudden this skull appears in the sky and then a snake comes out of it He sees Harry, but before he can do anything, the Ministry of Magic comes and they think that Harry is the one that has done this. I I don't know what their logic is on that. The Ministry of Magic is very stupid and we find out that they're super duper stupid later on. We find out that the mark that the rando dude in from the beginning made in the sky is called the Dark Mark. And it is a mark that basically symbols... Voldemort and he's calling all his followers aka the Death Eaters so now that we're all cut up on that we got to go back to school of course so I probably should do a recap of everybody that we've met because I've sucked at doing that thus far we did meet Barty Crouch he was part of the Ministry of Magic that accused Harry of doing the Dark Mark I can't remember what his role is in the Ministry of Magic but he is very important in this film so I have to mention him (laughs) We also meet Cho Chang on the train. She is a new love interest for Harry, but spoiler alert, she's dating Cedric and that just kind of gets ruined for him. But you know, there's always other movies. Hint, hint. But like I said, they're headed back to school and on the train ride, Hermione tells Harry that he probably needs to tell Sirius about everything that's happening, about the nightmares that he's been having and about the dark mark. So he does so, sends a letter, and it takes a minute for us to get a response, obviously. But in the meantime, we find out that Hogwarts is hosting the Triwizard Tournament. Shocked? No, because I've been talking about this whole time. Anyways, they're hosting the Triwizard Tournament, and how it works is that you have three champions from three schools to compete for eternal glory. That is what they are competing for. And a big fancy cup that says Wiz. So like I said, they have three different schools. So along with Hogwarts, we have the Bobatton Academy and then the Durmstrang Institute. It should come to no surprise to anybody that new school year means new defense against the dark arts teacher. And like I said before, I would never take this job based on how many people quit (laughs) and get hired. But anyways, our new defense against the dark arts professor is Mad-Eyed Moody. He's a weirdo, like I said before. I love him, but he's a weirdo. He has a weird little glass eye that moves, and he was an aura, and basically that means he worked for the the Department of uh, Ministries, and he basically had to think like a dark wizard did in order to catch them, I believe. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Anyways, back to the Triwizard Tournament. Barty Crouch makes it a rule that no one under the age of 17 can enter their name 
in the Goblet of Fire in order to be picked for the tournament. And to help keep that from happening, Dumbledore creates an age line, which, of course, Fred and George try to trick, and they end up turning into old men. Very comical, very on-brand for Fred and George. Now, like I said, Moody is very weird. He's very off. So off that he decides first day of class for his new class as a defense against the art guards professor, he's going to teach these students about the three unforgivable unforgivable curses. And what are those unforgivable curses, you may ask? Control, torture, kill. Not going to try to name them as this spell because I'll butcher it and we're just going to leave it at that. We find out that Neville's parents were actually tortured by not Voldemort himself, but one of his followers, his Death Eaters, tortured them for information, which is super, super sad because we love Neville. And it's also super sad because Moody performs the control curse right in front of Neville and watches this spider, which I don't like spiders, but still, it's in pain, sad, watches him get tortured. And you can tell that he's uncomfortable. And then they kill the spider, and then that's... It's just terrible all around. It's a really bad class. Hopefully it was not on a Monday morning, because that would just top the cake. But Moody does actually make good with him. He teaches him more about herbology, which is pretty cool and very nice. He may be an off man, but he obviously has a heart somewhere in him. So after that lovely day in class, we have the ceremony where they draw the names of the champions from the Goblet of Fire. Well, Fleur which is from Boban Academy, Victor Crumb, which is from Durmstrang, Cedric Diggory from Hogwarts, and Harry freaking Potter also, which Dumbledore is pissed about. And everybody loves to do the meme where he yells at him like, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? And then they have the little book where it says Dumbledore said calmly because, yeah, he's a little dramatic about it. But also, Harry is also... 15 in this movie and he made the rule actually he didn't make the rule barty crouch made the rule but can't be under 17 but since the triwizard tournament is basically like a binding contract harry has to compete so he can't get out of it and mcgonagall is the one that's pissed about it she's like you're just gonna let him go off and get killed and i'm with her because number one why would these parents of these children let them go to school where they're going to compete in this tournament where they could possibly die? Just questions. Valid questions. So with this news that Harry has to compete, Ron is very pissed because he thinks that he actually entered his name in the Goblet of Fire. Now I love Ron, but he's a little dense sometimes. Why he would think that he would do that, I don't know. And he's pissed at him for a good long while. It's very stupid. And honestly could have been left out. But this came out a long time ago. We can't change it now. Anyways, we meet Rita Skeeter. Because she has to do a piece for the Daily Prophet. She has her own column. Needless to say, this woman is terrible. And I hate her with every fiber of my being. The only funny part of this is that she has this little quill that basically writes for her. And Harry sees it writing. He says, my eyes aren't swimming with the ghost of my past which she in turns put in this column and because she's just crazy she just makes up all these lies she's awful and she doesn't get any better she has no redeeming factor at all in any movie in any book she just basically wants a good story and that's really all she cares about like i said earlier harry wrote Sirius a letter 
Well, he gets a letter back saying that Sirius wants to meet him in the Gryffindor common room at like in the middle, like 1.30 at night, middle of the night. Like I'm sleeping. I meet nobody at 1.30 at night, but whatever. He meets him. Well, sort of. His face pops up in the fire in the common room and they communicate that way. Very first question he asks him is, did he put his name in the Goblet of Fire? Harry, of course, says no. And Sirius believes him, which is good, as he should. But then he goes on to tell him that Hogwarts isn't safe because Igor Karkaroff, and I probably just pestered that, he is the, I guess he would be considered the headmaster, head professor of the Durmstrang Institute. He used to be a Death Eater, and apparently you don't ever stop being a Death Eater, so he's sketchy as hell, is what we get down to. We also find out that Barty Crouch is also sketchy as hell, too, because he sent his own son to Azkaban with no problem. Was he a bad dude? Yes. Still didn't have a problem sending his kid to Azkaban. It's problematic. His final words to him, though, are to keep his friends close, which is not what he's doing right now. I mean, him and Hermione are good, that's fine, but his best friend, Ron, is not speaking to him, which in turn is making it harder for him to compete because he can't focus because... He has nobody to talk to about any of this. Which brings me to the very nonsense way that he finds out about the first task. Ron basically tells Hermione to go tell Harry that so-and-so told so-and-so told so-and-so that Hagrid is looking for him. Well, he goes and meets Hagrid. We find out that the first task is dragons. And how did Ron know that all these people needed to talk to him? Well, it turns out that Ron was actually the one that needed to tell him to meet with Hagrid because his brother, Charlie, his oldest brother, was the one that brought in the dragons. Now, why couldn't he just suck it up and go tell him himself? But, you know, boys are stupid. It's whatever. So, like I said, the first task is dragons. We find out that the goal of this task is that there's a golden egg in the middle of an arena with a dragon that is guarding it. You have to get this golden egg because it is going to have the clue to the next task. Well, when we go to sort out everybody for the dragons, Barty is the one that does it, and he is the one that picks the order that they go in. Suspicious? I think yes. Because Harry is the very last one to get his dragon, and he gets the worst one, the Hungarian Horntail. And that dragon's mean. Now, I love How to Train Your Dragon. Those dragons are cute. I want one. I don't want one of these dragons. They're scary. They'll eat you. Set your whole house on fire. They're just bad news. Especially this Hungarian Horntail. He's just rude. Since Harry was the last one to draw, he's also the last one to compete. Everyone obviously gets their golden eggs and is fine. When it's Harry's turn, it's obviously not so easy because, like I said, this dragon's a douche. When he goes to compete, he is able to get his broom in the arena with him to help him. But when he flies out to try and circle back to get the egg, the dragon breaks loose of these chains and just bolts it for him so obviously destruction is caused this poor school just gets so much destruction done to it every single year he makes it back around he gets the golden egg woohoo harry won no one's surprised when he goes to open this egg to listen to the clue it's just massive screeches and that's all you hear about it for a little while harry just keeps it with him because he doesn't know what to do with it and he doesn't even figure it out to the last minute but i will get to that here in just a minute in the midst of all the nonsense of Harry trying to open the egg and the screech is happening, him and Ron have a discussion and Ron says that he thinks that Harry would be mad to put his name in the Goblet of Fire 
genius, Ron. Just genius. So anyways, they're back to being besties. We learn with the Triwizard Tournament, we find out that there is also a Yule Ball, which is a dance. I don't know why that needed to be explained. I always thought that was kind of weird. Like it's literally in the name because McGonagall's like, the Yule Ball is a dance. I'm like, duh. Of course it is. With this ball means that they have to get dates, which of course Harry and Ron are terrible at. And they don't even get dates till the very last minute. Ron tries to ask Fleur Delacour out. He just screams at her and then passes out, basically. So Harry gets them dates with the two twins. I believe that they're twins. The Pavardi twins. Which bugs me that it's wrong that they're both in Gryffindor because one of them is supposed to be in Ravenclaw. That's me nitpicking. Anyways, they both go with them to the Yule Ball and Hermione actually goes with Victor and then Fleur de Lacour goes with somebody, I had to look it up who this dude even was, because he's basically a nobody. I think his name was Roger. So you guys remember earlier when I said that Ron was like in love with Victor, you know. Well, when he asked Hermione to the old ball, he is not a big fan. Because he wanted to ask Hermione. It's not vocalized, but it is very apparent. They like each other. If no one saw that, you're blind. Anyways, he basically makes that night a living hell for her and a living hell for his date. Like, Ron was not my favorite person in this movie. He (laughs) was very problematic. But anyways, he makes Hermione feel like she's being used because she's fraternizing with the enemy. And she's like, well, next time, don't wait so long and ask me yourself. And he just like avoids what the statement And I'm just like, dude, just tell her that you like her. But no, we have to have a slow burn for them. And I don't even have time to get into that. We'll get into it later. So I forgot to mention that with the first task, when Harry found out it was about dragons, he was a nice champion and competitor and told his friend, not friend, Cedric, that that was the first task. Well, Cedric being the nice guy that he can be, returns the favor and tells him that the way to no pun intended, crack the egg, is to put it in a bath. Weird, but that is how you do it. So that's what Harry does. He goes to take a hot bubble bath, and there is Moaning Myrtle being weird and creepy as ever. And then he puts the egg under the water. It sings a little tune about how you have an hour to recover what we took. So basically something is taken from him. He has an hour to get it back, but he also has to hold his breath underwater for an hour. Problematic, indeed. We also find out on top of that that there are mer people in the lake where they're having this event. So, yippee. So, with this problem that he can't figure out how to hold his breath underwater for an hour, Neville comes into play. He suggests gillyweed. Just off, you know, duh. Well, this crap looks nasty. I would not put it anywhere near my mouth. Nor would I feel comfortable taking it and hoping that I could breathe underwater. But he does. It gives him fins and gills, and so it works. We find out that Ron is like his treasure that he has to go and recover. Hermione is Victor's, and Cho is Cedric's, and then Fleur's little sister is her treasure that she has to get. Well, Fleur doesn't even make it to the end. She gets caught by the little mer people, I think. Everybody else gets theirs, and Harry, being the nice guy that he is, saves Ron and then saves Fleur's sister. So, 
for that act of kindness and um, outstanding moral fiber. Those are the words that are used. He comes in second place in this event. Cedric comes in first, and then that leaves Victor in last place. After his big win with his outstanding moral fiber, Barty Crouch decides that he needs to congratulate him on, you know, how he's doing in the tournament and everything. Well, Mad-Eye then pokes his nosy head in and makes a comment about something. I can't even remember, but it rolls around to, oh, Barty says something about him doing like an internship in like the Ministry of Magic. And Mad-Eye says, well, yeah, that's probably a terrible idea because the last kid that went into the ministry never came out. And then it's weird little thing with his tongue. Like he's like a snake, like a little, little snake. And Barty notices that there's something off about him. And don't we all? He's just an odd man. I can't say that enough. Well, not long after we see all that go down, Barty Crouch is found dead in the woods by Harry. Who else? And I guess the funny thing to me is, yes, he found the body, which is not the funny part. I'm not that cruel. But he doesn't even get in trouble. They don't ask him questions about it. It's basically just forgotten. Cornelius Fudge comes into the picture, says that they're not canceling the tournament, and then he leaves. No questions are asked, no nothing. And it's just forgotten about. The boy found a dead body. That doesn't raise any red flags to anybody? I guess not. But anyways, for some reason, Dumbledore leaves Harry in his office, and we find Dumbledore's memories, which is super nosy on Harry's part, but happy he is super nosy because we get to go back in time to a it's not like a trial but it's basically like people are being brought in from Azkaban to present information to you know I guess appeal themselves to get out of Azkaban well this is where we see Igor Karkaroff in prison he's not in prison like I said he's being brought to this trial type thing and he is wanting to give them information about people that he knew were Death Eaters. Well, he says that Severus Snape was one. Dumbledore immediately stands up and says, we already knew about all this. He then turned spy for us, and he's no longer a Death Eater anymore. Remember what I said earlier about how when you're a Death Eater, you never are not a Death Eater? Well, we'll get back to that in like two more movies. Well, when they say that information isn't good enough, he says, wait, I have one more name. And it's actually the name of the person that performed the cruciatus cruciatus see this is why i don't say the name of the spells the torture spell on the long bottoms barty crouch jr which would be the rando guy that we saw at the beginning and also the rando guy that we saw that put the dark mark in the sky and he's a weird dude he also does that weird thing with his tongue like a slither little snake so anybody catching making some connections here because you should so you know harry pops out of this memory dumbledore's not even pissed that he was so nosy which i guess is nice and typical dumbledore but when he is going back to his room he hears somebody in one of the closets and it pops open and it is snape and igor and they're having a conversation and igor pulls has his sleeve pulled up and you can see the skull and the snake which is the death eater dark mark thing that is tattooed on their arm and he says he you know what this means it's a sign well he basically leaves in a huff it's not even talked about but snape does confront harry because he thinks that he is brewing a apology juice potion because all of the stuff for his apology juice potion is missing harry says he's not snape kind of lets it go and he's like you know basically he's like oh i'm gonna figure this out 
because he's positive that it's Harry. I would just love to know where he thinks Harry's going and doing with his apologies potion. But that's neither here nor there. We have finally made it to our last task of the Triwizard Tournament, which would be the maze. It makes me mad when I watch this movie because I remember distinctly reading this book and the maze was so in-depth and had so much going on and the movie did not. They basically sped through it to get to the big finale and it made me mad because like I said, they left out a lot of stuff, but that's neither here nor there. That's my tangent about it. I don't go on a very long tangent about the books because I'm not an avid reader I'm sorry if that makes anybody mad. I'm more of a movie watcher and I don't like to read the books before I watch the movies because I nitpick everything and I like I'm doing right now. I find things that are wrong and that they could have done better and I don't feel like I enjoy the movie to its full potential. So that's why I have a hard time reading the books before I watch the movie. I'll go watch the movie and then read the book because then I can't really nitpick that much because I've already seen it. It's already done whatever. Anyways, there's my tangent. Like I said, the last task is a maze, and their goal is to go through this maze to find the cup that has been hidden by Mad-Eyed Moody. Well, this maze is just a hot mess. Victor is bewitched. Fleur gets basically taken by the maze after she is attacked by Victor, and then that just leaves our two Hogwarts champions, and they're fighting it tooth and nail to get to this cup. And then when they finally were like, oh, we'll just take it together. Well, they touch it and they are transported to that lovely little graveyard that we saw at the beginning of this movie. Because the cup is port key and not to a place that we wanted to be. They immediately see Wormtail come out from, it's not the shadows, they come out from somewhere and he is carrying something or someone and it is little shriveled up little Voldemort. And that is how we find out that he was the voice at the beginning because he sounds exactly the same. And then Voldemort tells him to kill the spare. And that's when Cedric dies. Ugh, it's just earth shattering. Like he was not my favorite character, but it was still really sad that he had to die because I felt like he could have been a very good character for the rest of the movies. But it happened and we're going to move on. Ugh, it's just so sad. And it's just sad when he comes back, but I'm, I'm going to get into I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so bad about that. I get so excited what I'm talking about that I just skip 20 steps. So I probably need to pace myself. But back to what I was talking about. Wormtail basically brings, I put it in this in quotes, brings Voldemort back to life. He does a sacrifice basically where he cuts off one of his arms, takes some blood from Harry and also the bone from Voldemort's father. And he is quote-unquote resurrected he looks weird he doesn't have a nose he's very pale and dead looking and he wears a black little cape and is barefoot it's very uncomfortable that he's barefoot i like going barefoot but he goes barefoot everywhere everywhere it's unsettling but we're not here to talk about his hygiene we're here to talk about how terrible he is once he has been brought back to life he then summons his death eaters he makes the dark mark in the sky and they all come busting through. This is where we find out that Lucius Malfoy is actually a Death Eater. So no wonder he's so terrible. It all clicks. Voldemort then tells his sad little story about how he lost all his powers and how it is all Lily Potter's fault. Since she used an act of love to shield Harry so that he would not die, Voldemort 
basically lost all his powers and we you know we talked about it in i think it was chamber of secrets that some of his powers were passed on to harry well since all that happened and we also remember from the first movie that voldemort couldn't touch him or else he would burn not the case anymore now he can touch him and it is very weird like he does just the one finger and he touches them on his forehead like right on his scar and it is just very weird and i don't know it's a power move i guess if you want to call it that well he decides that he wants himself and harry to have a duel so that's what they do and in the midst of this duel their wands and spells like collide and create this very pretty little like i don't even know how to explain it but then all of a sudden it creates this dome and all these people that have died start appearing the caretaker that he killed at the very beginning of this movie harry's parents cedric they all appear harry's parents say we're gonna help you we're gonna shield you so that you can get to the port key and get back then cedric says please take my body back to my father just don't leave me here basically so that's what he does they shield him he takes the port key takes cedric back they plop back down like right at the beginning of the maze and everybody is cheering because they're like oh yay they won they don't realize what's happened and it is a travesty a travesty like if anybody's to win an award for their performance in this movie it should be cedric's father because the cry that he lets out is just gut-wrenching and you just feel just all of his pain it's it's beautifully acted and just hits you in your feels every single time when dumbledore comes to meet harry and cedric to find out what happened harry just blurts out that voldemort's back and everybody is just like panic and he's like we we need to get everybody out of here so mad eye decides to take harry and kind of remove him from the situation since he's so upset he takes him to his it's like his office but it's also like his room i don't really know what i would call it and he starts acting really weird like weirder than how he has been he asks him questions about how it was to be in the presence of Voldemort. And then he asks him about the graveyard. And Harry's like, I never told you anything about a graveyard. Well, then it gets real strange. Because then he starts, like, basically, like, convulsing. Harry ends up putting two and two together and realizes that he is the one that put his name in the Goblet of Fire. And, of course, that's when Dumbledore and Snape, like, bust in. And they get him down on the chair. And they give him this potion that makes him tell the truth. And they ask him if he's really Alistair Mad-Eye Moody. And he says no. And he's like, where is he? Well, then he points to this big trunk that expands into more trunks. It's like a little like Russian nesting doll situation. And at the very bottom of this trunk, which is very deep, we see Mad-Eye. Poor guy. He's just been there this whole time. And that's when we find out that he, he, this guy, the one pretending to be Mad-Eye, is the one that was stealing Snape's apologies potion stuff. Who's this person pretending to be Mad-Eye? No one other than Barty Crouch Jr. And his weird little snake tongue. He then looks at Harry and goes, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. And he shows him his little dark mark, Death Eater mark type thing. And then we find out that when they cut Harry to get some of his blood, they cut it right in the same spot that they get their marks. And with all the blood spurting out, it did kind of look like that symbol to represent that for him. And it was, it was a weird coincidence probably, but still freaky nonetheless. I'm assuming that they took Barty Crouch Jr. back to Azkaban. I believe that would be the smart choice. (laughs) They, of course, get Moody out from the trunk. And he is in the next, not the next movie, but maybe the next 
So it, it does take a while before you see him again, but we gotta love that weird little guy. Once everything is figured out, they do have a memorial for Cedric, and that is where Dumbledore tells everyone that Voldemort is the one that killed Cedric. And he also says that the Ministry of Magic doesn't want them to know that because it would terrify children, and I don't blame them, but also they need to know because it's a real threat. And that's kind of what he says. He goes, you need to be prepared, basically, and you need to know these things. We see the the bow battens and the derm strings. They're leaving, and they've obviously made friends with everybody, but you never hear about them ever again, except for Fleur. She does pop up later on. But at the very end, Hermione's like, nothing's ever going to be the same, is it? And I'm like, no, honey. Death and terrible things seem to follow you guys. You're like magnets to it. But on that note... That wraps up another year at Hogwarts. Crazy year, but another year. And I just want to say a few more things about this movie before I wrap this all up in a tiny little bow. The reason that I like this movie so much, I know I talked about it at the beginning, but it kind of shifts the tone for this franchise because, you know, at the very beginning, you know, it was lighthearted and it was funny because they were just kids and, you know, now they're teenagers and they're growing up and things are getting scarier and more intense and so this movie kind of shifts that tone mainly because Voldemort does return in this movie and I think that's why I like it so much I don't know it just it's that good little middle ground where you can kind of separate the two because you know the first three it's it's lighthearted, it's fun the third one is a little dark but not as dark as this one I don't think but just just that tone and it gets you prepared for what's to come because they just get darker and darker as they go on and so that's my that's my spiel about that. As always, guys, I really appreciate you coming to listen to this episode today. We will be back on May 6th with the underdog of this franchise, in my personal opinion, Order of the Phoenix. So until then, go to my TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all are at Movie Theater Mom. Go give me a follow and keep up with what's going on. I would really appreciate it just as much as I appreciate you guys listening to me ramble on today. So until next time, see you later.